0: Once again, everyone, welcome to Christ Central Church. Great to have you here, and uh, thanks to those participating online with us today. My name's Joe Crummy, and today we're going to be sharing in communion together. So hopefully on your way in, you might have received this, which has our bread on top and our wine juice at the bottom. So if you're at home participating, uh, why don't you, in a minute, get ready, and you can find some bread or some juice or wine to get ready to share in communion at the end of our message together. But first, we're going to explain some of those things. And today, I want to talk about how Jesus' life and death and resurrection affects and applies to our lives and our culture today. And so when we come to share in communion, it's something not just sort of like nostalgia. that We remember something 2,000 years ago, but it doesn't have any application today. It has every application today to our lives and to our culture. And so today, I just want to take a look at and there's so many things when we come to what Jesus has done for us. We can't explain them all in one message. We're just going to pick one thing this morning to kind of see how the cross and the resurrection and the application of what Jesus has done for us affects an area of our life, and that topic is going to be sort of to do with the whole area of shame. And so, I'm going to put up a definition. Um, and there are all kinds of different definitions of shame, but I found this one uh, that I thought was quite helpful to us. And so, this is a definition of shame. And we are more and more living in a shame culture and trying to understand what that is. But here's one definition of shame it's this a painful feeling caused by the belief that one is or is perceived by others to be inferior or unworthy of affection or respect because of one's actions, thoughts, circumstances, or experience. Let me read that again. Shame, it's a painful feeling, so it affects our emotions, by the belief that one is or is perceived by others to be inferior or unworthy of affection or respect because of either one's own actions, thoughts, circumstances, or experience, and one of the things we're going to take a look at today is that can be, as we've seen in this definition, by the things we've done, or it can be that maybe we haven't done anything wrong at all, but, but we perceive others think things of us, which then affect us, or other people's actions towards us or circumstances or life issues affect us, and we take them on. So, it's a wide-ranging definition but it affects every one of us. And so, just trying to say that sometimes we can feel guilty for some of the things we've done. So sometimes we can feel, oh man, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that, or maybe I should have done something good and we didn't do it, and we can feel guilty because of what we have or haven't done. But shame, it's a little bit different in the sense that it's more we feel bad about who we are as a person. And it affects our identity. And so the next slide I've just put up just sort of kind of all kinds of different bullet points, just different words that describe how we feel shame. I can feel embarrassed. I can feel ashamed, dirty. Sometimes we feel yucky. times we're hating ourselves. We feel humiliated. And all of that leads to no peace, no escape. It can lead to torment, agony, and sometimes it causes us to self-harm. And in our culture, more and more, you might have heard the term, we're called more and more a cancel culture. And so, in our society, goodness, we have movie stars and athletes and politicians and media people and all that. They do something wrong. They say something that maybe doesn't, majority don't like. And what do we do? we just like, they're gone. Now, sometimes there's a good part to that, (laughs) because sometimes there's consequences to our actions, and sometimes we want justice, and sometimes, rightfully so, people do terrible things, say terrible things, and... There's a sense of hey there's consequence you might lose your job so we get that. However, a lot of times it goes beyond that like people are just gone. Never to be heard from again. And they're canceled. They're uh, you're pushed aside. And that happens in all kinds of different things. And that's how our society more and more deals with things like shame. Let me just flesh that a little bit more cuz it can come a couple of different ways. Either people are ashamed, and again, listen to that definition, either we perceive it from others or we and sometimes we cancel ourselves. We take ourselves out of things. And sometimes that happens in church life. Sometimes we do something and just like, oh man, if people really knew who I was and everything nobody would want and so I'm not even going to really participate in church life because I'm unworthy, I don't deserve it, or people, and we cancel ourselves out. And in our culture, sometimes we do the opposite because sometimes people fight cancel culture by this. People are just like, dudes, this is who I am, and I don't care what anyone thinks, and we're just full steam ahead. And we see that in our culture as well, don't we? I don't care what anyone thinks. This is who I am and I'm going to be who I am and we're just going to go on with life. And as you wrestle through these things, you're kind of going like, folks, there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. Is it possible that if we do things wrong or we say things, that actually there's a process that we can go through, acknowledge, take ownership, say I'm sorry, be forgiven, and actually be restored into relationship and into society? Is there a way that we can humble ourselves and say, I'm just not going to flaunt and just be who I am. I'm actually going to take some ownership. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to learn some things. Is there a different way that we can be forgiven, that we can be cleansed, that we can be restored personally and even in church life and in society. Folks, do you understand the issues we're dealing with in everyday life? We deal with those things. We deal with things of shame, don't we? Okay? If you're in middle school, elementary school, high school, university, doesn't matter what age, but folks, you have to understand kids, teenagers, you have to understand young adults that dealing with things people make in front of you, sometimes you're like, I say the wrong thing, I wear the wrong thing, I've done the wrong things, and you know that feeling when everyone turns against you. Folks, you have to understand when we take communion today, when we remember what Jesus has done on the cross, when we remember that Jesus is alive, we have to make the connections that Jesus is dealing with things like shame in our lives. Because if we don't make that, if we have a disconnect between Jesus, who we're just singing about and honoring, and yet, as has been shared, what Jesus has done and who he is doesn't make its way down into the deep, dark parts of our heart and our lives, and it doesn't permeate every aspect of our being, including things like guilt and shame. We're missing the good news. But when we've experienced that and we've realized that truth and God's love has forgiven us in Christ and we've experienced that love and that acceptance and that no longer we're ashamed, but we've been adopted and chosen, accepted, and God loves us. And not only does God love us, God likes us in Christ Jesus. Then all of a sudden, Sunday morning, we're like, (laughs) hallelujah. And we're praising Jesus because we know what he's done in our lives. When we come to communion, we have to understand that Jesus has died for us. But it's not just… It is a legal transaction, it is, but it goes beyond sort of just a technical legal thing. It permeates into every aspect of our lives. That's the good news of the gospel. And Jesus was sent from heaven, Son of God, fully God, fully human. And we read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He came and he had three years of ministry and it was incredible. He brought miracles and healings and teachings and he had compassion and he brought justice and forgiveness. He brought heaven on earth. And yet, it's a, every time, yet he was betrayed, suffered, his body was broken, his blood was spilled on the cross. Folks, we have to realize the pain of crucifixion was so horrendous that, you know, they had to invent a word to go with the pain of what it was to be to die on a cross. And we get the word today, excruciating. Have you ever heard of that word? Excruciating. It was excruciating pain. That word was invented because it means from the cross. And Jesus brought, as we're going to see, a new covenant, a new way to know and relate to God because the old way was never able to actually deal with our hearts. So I'm going to read the Scripture now that we usually read at the end. I'm going to read it at the beginning. And that's from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So let's read this together. Okay, it's going to be up here. And again, as we're learning, why don't we read, if you're able to read, why don't we read this together and read God's Word. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and this is what he said. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So this is why we're taking time and we're examining ourselves through God's Word here this morning before we take part. So again, the background, we've got God's story, that God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living together in community and love and glory and holiness and life and joy and peace and generosity and God, out of this love and generosity, is like, I, need, I want to share this. And so He created the world to reflect His glory. And He created humanity as we read in God's Word. And we're made in God's image, male and female. And we are God's image bearers. And God said to Adam and Eve for His first creation, go forth, multiply, rule, care for the world, steward, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with My glory. How? Through us, as his image bears. In Adam and Eve, it says this, they walked with God, they were naked, and they knew no shame. Isn't that interesting? Naked, and yes, they walked with God, and they talked with God in the garden, and there were no issues. And then Adam and Eve are tempted by Satan, and sin is it's really not believing God. It's ignoring God, it's believing a lie, and we read the story. Did God really say and they disobeyed God, and there's all kinds of consequences to that, and there was spiritual death and physical death, and they're separated from God, and what do we read happened? This is really important. What do we read happen? What happened when they, God's like, where are you? I don't think God lost them. I think God's saying, where are you? And what what does the word say? It says they knew they were what? Naked, and what did they do? They hid. So, we're into the third chapter of the Bible, and we're dealing with shame. They knew they were naked, and they hid from God. You see what shame does? Shame causes us to hide, and we hide from God, and a lot of times we hide from one another, and this is the condition we find ourselves in, that we, as we're born thousands of years later, we're still born into Adam. He's our head. We're still born into Him, and we've got a huge problem, such a big problem that it needs God to solve the problem. And hallelujah, we read this incredible verse. This is a good one maybe to remember, Second Corinthians 5, 21. We read this, "'For our sake God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God.'" Do you get that? Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who never disobeyed God, who knew no sin, He became sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness, we might have right standing relationship with God, and Jesus did, and God did that because the Bible says that God so loved the world. He did that not out of like, oh man, I made creation and they screwed up and now like, oh, what am I going to do? <sighs> i got to do something. No, God loved. This is my creation. God loved the world. He sent His one and only Son. We need a God-sized answer so that no one should perish, but those who believe in Him should have everlasting, eternal life, knowing God, having a relationship with God. And we see it's not earned. It's a gift, and our part is by faith. We believe this truth. Briefly, this morning I just want to draw a couple of things. And we don't have time this morning to read all of Leviticus 16, so if you want to do that this week, I'm sure that was on your to-do list this week, I'm going to read the book of Leviticus. You can just read one chapter. Levitic- Leviticus 16 in the Old Testament. And there God's laying out what we call the Old Covenant. It was His, His way of dealing with His chosen people, Israel. And God established a way for the Israelites whom God chose to have a people to have a relationship with him despite sin being the thing that was separated. In the Old Testament, we see this. We see a priesthood, and there's a whole priest system. So, 12 tribes, he picked one, and we got a whole priest system. There's ceremonies, all kinds of ceremonies, okay? And then there's all kinds of different sacrifices and rituals. It's a lot. And one day of the year was called the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur and the Jewish calendar really important, probably the most important day of the year in the Jewish calendar. And this is what God did on the day of atonement. Atonement just means this. It's making of amends. It's making up for error deficiency. And this is what God established. On this day, the high priest, so there was a high priest out of all the different priests, chose, one chosen from all the priests, he went into, in the Old Testament, first of all, it was the tent of meeting, then it was the tabernacle, and then they built the temple. So he went in one day a year, and there was different sections laid out and it got kind of more holy as you went. And there was the Holy of Holies. And on one day a year, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, the Ten Commandments. And that's where God's manifest presence was. And it was like, whew, he didn't mess around. And God established, and God said this to the high priest. Before you go in, you've got to sacrifice some, a bull for yourself. So there's Because you're, you're sinful, you're not perfect. And then you've got to sacrifice some animals on behalf of all the people. And so, this is what I started to do. I started to collect all my, all Vanna's stuffies t- to have, and then I realized it doesn't end good for any of the stuffies. So I stopped, and I'm not going to do your stuffies. So, your visual lesson today is not to have a visual lesson, because I thought it might be too traumatic. I had a bull, I had a lamb, I had goats, anyways. So blood had to be shed because the priest was sinful, the people were sinful, and then this is what happened. Fascinating. Really fascinating. They said, what you do, you cast lots and you pick two goats who are unblemished, they're perfect goats. And this is what you're going to do. The first goat, and you're kind of like, hope you're not the first goat. The first goat, sacrificed, blood was shed. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant had what's called the mercy seat or the seat of atonement. And the priest would sprinkle the blood onto the Ark on the mercy seat. And that brought atonement, a payment for the sin. And God's people were made right again with God. A sacrifice shed blood, day of atonement, and the people are made right with God, and sin is paid for. And people always say, why did, you know, why did animals have to be killed? Why did Jesus have to? Folks, we don't realize the seriousness of sin. In God's eyes, we minimize sin. It's not fun to talk about, I don't even like talking about it. But sin separates us from God. And the way God set it up, it's serious and blood has to be shed For a payment to deal with the penalty. And part of remembering communion and part of remembering Jesus dying on the cross is Jesus was that goat. Jesus was the one. Now it's interesting because Jesus was perfect, the Bible says this he didn't have to make any sacrifices for himself. He was the sacrifice. And it's interesting in the Jewish system, the high priest in that Holy of Holies, there was nowhere to sit down because the work was never done. He had to come back the next year, and there was a whole bunch of ceremonies and sacrifices all throughout the year to deal with all kinds of other things. And in the New Testament, we read this Jesus has become our great high priest. And it says in the book of Hebrews that when Jesus fulfilled, he was sacrificed and then resurrected. When he returned to heaven, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why is that important? It's because He was the once and for all sacrifice. We don't need any more. He is the sacrifice. To put it in sports terms, He's the goat of the goat. (sighs) He's the greatest of all time. He was the goat. And that's what we remember, that Jesus was sacrificed And the Bible says this, uses kind of a big word, but this is the, Jesus was our propitiation. He was the sacrifice, and He removed the wrath by offering Himself as a gift. And God's righteous wrath at sin was satisfied. Justice is served. And 600 times in the Old Testament, it talks about God's wrath against sin. It's a serious thing. And Jesus satisfies the Father. Jesus is our substitute. His perfect life fulfilled God's law, and though innocent, He took on our and became our sin and guilt and shame, and the penalty was paid. Hallelujah. That's what we're remembering today. In our faith and belief in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, the Bible says it justifies us, just as if I had never sinned. Justification, we're justified, not by anything we've done, but through Jesus' Christ. And we go from guilty and condemned and shameful to not guilty, accepted, redeemed, restored, cleansed, all based on Jesus' performance and not ours. That's good news. That's good news. That's good news. I was in a race I could never win. Jesus won it. I had to write a test I could never pass. (laughs) Jesus gives us 100% and he gives it to us. It's good news. Now here's the second thing I just want to focus on briefly. And there's a whole thing about Jesus being the Lamb of God and the Passover, that's a whole other story, okay? That goes along with communion as well. But sometimes we don't read about, I'm going to take this as my goat, this is my second goat, even though it's a bunny. I couldn't find a goat. Hard to find stuffies that are goats. But anyways, lots of lambs, no goats. The second goat, remember there were two? First one, blood sacrifice. The second goat, this is what the high priest did. The priest laid his hands on the goat's head. What a scene that must have been. And this is what the priest did. The priest confessed all the sins of the nation onto that goat. Now, can anyone tell me what the name of that goat, what came to stand for? Nice and loud. That's right. That lamb, or that goat became the scapegoat, and this is what happened. Confess the sins over, and then someone was tasked with, I don't know who got that job, but someone was tasked with taking that goat out into the wilderness, out into the desert, and releasing it, and it symbolized the removal of sins from the people. Now, today, our use of scapegoat's is a little bit different, so here's right this week, Blue Jays fire manager Charlie Montoya. Wah, wah, wah. First sentence, the Toronto Blue Jays have found a scapegoat for the team's recent struggles, fire engine manager Charlie Montoya on Wednesday. Our definition of scapegoat is a little bit different, Because depending on who you are, you could say, actually, Charlie and deserved to be fired because he was to be blamed. And other people are like, no, it was the player's fault. But he had a part to play. Folks, Jesus was innocent. You can't blame Jesus and say, well, Jesus sinned too, and he just didn't sin as much as the rest of us. No, he was innocent. It's a different use of the term. Jesus became our scapegoat. He took the blame for something we did, and the Bible uses this term, this whole concept of expiation that our sin is removed. Now, here's the amazing thing of what Jesus has done is Jesus hasn't just done that legally, which He has, but you remember that definition of shame? Jesus not, legal, not only legally deals with sin, but it says this, and this is an important part, sometimes we forget <clears throat> that all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of our wickedness, all the things we can come up with, both things we've done and the wrongs done to us, those were all put on Jesus. So not only legally did he take. Our sins away and He paid the price for our penalty. This is what the Bible says, He also removed all of our shame. And you say, Joe, how do we know that? <clears throat> There's a reason why this was emphasized in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We read this, as Jesus was on the cross, as Jesus was going through His crucifixion, these are the words we read, that Jesus hung on the cross Naked. There was shame. It says that he was mocked. It says that he was insulted. That he was forsaken. Debbie was just reading some of those things from Lamentations this morning during worship. And it says this, he died on a cross outside the city. And the book of Hebrews makes that point. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13:12. Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Folks, we've got this great exchange of guilt, penalty, payment, innocence, but we have this great exchange of shame and feeling dirty and hating ourselves and all those things that we identify with that go beyond just head. We feel it. And Jesus takes all of that as well and we can be accepted that we've been given a new identity we're a new creation in Christ that we've been given a new legal identity but it says this if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what and to cleanse us or some translation says this and to purify us from all unrighteousness from the wrongs that we've done, but also from the wrongs other people have done to us. Because we know we get slimed, right, when people sin against us. It's like we get covered internally by other people's sin. We know that, right? When people sin against us, people abuse us physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually, we get scarred. Maybe not so much on the outside body, but on the inside. When people slander us, when people mock us, when people make fun of us, when people put us down, when people insult us, it wounds us. And physically, sometimes it's easier to get healed up than actually on the inside, isn't it? I sprain my ankle, I go see Ollie, and as a physio, he's gonna help me with a whole program. But it's harder when you say, man, I'm wounded on the inside and I don't know what to do. And the good news of Jesus Christ is this, is that when we come to Jesus and we say to Jesus, Jesus, I just come to you and I'm hurt and I'm broken and I know I've done things wrong. I know I should have done some good things I didn't, but Jesus, I'm broken because people have done terrible things to me and I don't know what to do with all of this And we read this in Isaiah 53. And again, I'll put the scripture up on the screen. And we don't have time to read the whole passage, but just a few things. Hundreds of years before Jesus, this was written about him. And it's the whole title of Isaiah 53 is The Suffering Servant. In just a few verses, we read this. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So Jesus wasn't the Hollywood movie star. We read this. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each and one of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, we have to realize, Jesus, and a lot of times we can get kind of the first goat. Jesus, you know, the goat was killed, blood was shed, Mercy seat, we're forgiven. But folks, we can't forget the second scapegoat that Jesus took and removed. Not just legal sin, he took all that damage, all that shame, all that humiliation. Jesus took it on the cross. He's our scapegoat so that we can come to Jesus and we can be made whole, we can receive peace with God and with one another, we can be forgiven and restored, we can be healed on the inside, because we can give all of that to Jesus, and He's taken it all for us, and then the exchange He gives us. Folks, it's amazing. We're not just forgiven. We're not just made right with God legally. We're adopted. It says we're chosen, It's that He loves us. He's brought us into His family. He gives us rights as sons. We're given an inheritance. God loves us. God likes us. When He looks at us, because we're in Christ, He sees His Son, Jesus, whom He loves. We're brought into the Trinity. We're brought into the fellowship in the community of Father, Son, Father, Holy Spirit, and we're brought in collectively. That's why it's so awesome to come as the local church. We're brought in as fellow heirs, brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of the living God. I read this quote from J.I. Packer this week, and we'll put that up on the screen. And Packer says this, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, Brought in for supper and given the family name. It's great. To be right with God the Judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Whew. Getting the first part's hard enough. Woof. God the judge is satisfied in Jesus. Oh, he's declared me innocent. But then what? I'm kind of on my own, right? God's made me right with him, but now what do I do? You're not left there. It gets even better. my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Can you hear the Father speaking that over you this morning? When you put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, to be made right with God, to be forgiven of your sins, you're made legally right, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus cleanses us Jesus purifies us from all sin, the sin we've done and the sins against us, and He adopts us into His family, and we're called children of God. And in Christ, Jesus speaks, the Father speaks over us what He spoke to Jesus here on earth. This is my Son, whom I love. With Him, I am well pleased. Benjamin Wigan, this morning, the Father says, Benjamin, you are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And if I could get into Ben's head, I'm sure Ben at some point's going like, ah, no, 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 no. You didn't know what I did this week. You don't know what I even did this morning. Like, hold on. Folks in the Bible, it talks about justification just as if I'd never sinned. It's a legal thing. That's our legal truth in this great exchange. When we accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, we become sons of God. God's DNA is in us because His Holy Spirit now lives within us. Nothing can change that. Now, the process of sanctification, which is all we've been talking about in the last year in this whole framework of life and spiritual formation, it's a lifetime of us becoming more like Jesus. And yes, we sin and we mess up, and the Bible says we come back to Jesus, we ask for forgiveness, we're made right, we confess our sins one to another, we make things right. And yes, in that sense, yeah, what we do and don't do can affect our everyday relationship with God, and we've got to get that right. But legally, what Ben does or doesn't do doesn't change the fact that in Christ, he's a son whom the Father loves. With Ben, the Father is well-pleased. And if you can get that foundation, guess what? that will help clean up your life. Because as a son, you're like, I want to please my father. (laughs) It's not, oh, I got to, I got to, before the judge, the judge has set me free, but now I got to help. Oh man, I don't even know if the judge likes me, but now I got to try to do right in order for the judge to keep me. No, I've been forgiven by the judge, but now he calls me son, and the judge is my father. And He now gives me the Holy Spirit. He puts me into a family that's going to help me grow. He puts leaders around us who model and teach and try to live out God's Word so that we can together. Folks, woof. So this morning, as we come to communion, this is what I'm pleading with you. Just don't miss out on the forgiveness and the cleansing and the restoration of Jesus. So maybe this morning might be your first time to receive. Many of us here this morning, we're already Christians. We come to Jesus again for like the thousandth, millionth time, and we receive the gospel again. That Jesus, I'm made right because of you. And you, as I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me because Jesus has taken my guilt and my shame on the cross. And the Bible says this. This is, just, I think, the last slide, just quickly. The Bible says this. We repent. What do we do? We repent. We turn. Repentance is I'm following something else or I'm following me or I'm lost, whatever. And repentance is I'm turning and I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm putting my hope and faith and trust in Jesus. And I'm saying no to these things from this point on. And I'm saying yes to Jesus. And we receive We receive forgiveness, we receive adoption. We receive cleansing and wholeness. The list goes on and on and on. We remember what Christ has done, and folks, we get to rejoice in this good news. So as we share in communion, which focuses on the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and His resurrection and that He's coming again, Folks, we come, and as we take the bread, you can do this in a moment, I'm just going to do it as a start, and we take, which represents the bread, folks, sometimes we can just do this so fast and quick, like we just kind of go, yeah, done, Do you remember the goat, that first goat was killed says Jesus' body was broken on the cross. His blood that was shed forever is on the mercy seat and sprinkled in God's presence so that we can be made right with God. And his blood shed, remember the second goat, the scapegoat? Out into the desert, well it removed legally sin, but it also removed the shame and the guilt. And it was taken away so that we can have peace with God, that we can be accepted, (sighs) that we're adopted in. All through Christ's body that was broken, His blood was shed. That's why it's good news. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get maybe Celeste or someone from the Welcome team. Just if anyone didn't receive that cup on the way in, maybe just put your hand up and Celeste will... um, the basket's right there. We'll hand that out. Okay, as I say, maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you have made this decision. You're welcome just to stay here with us, and you can just watch and observe what we as a Christian family do. There's no pressure on you whatsoever. Okay, and in a moment, we're going to lead us taking the bread. If you're watching online, you can get ready. All right. All right, why don't you take out, and the Bible says this, to examine ourselves. So we're just going to take a moment, we're just going to be quiet, and maybe this morning for the first time, you're going to take part in communion, and you're saying, Jesus, you're my Savior, you saved me, I confess that Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, I turn From all the other things I turn to you and I ask for your forgiveness and I receive your forgiveness. I receive your mercy and your grace and your love and your Holy Spirit. That might be for the first time. You can do that this morning as we're quiet. Maybe you're already a Christian. Just examine yourself. Say, Holy Spirit, show is there anything I need to confess, get right with you? Do I just need to line up with this truth again? You can begin to thank. You can just be full of thankfulness in your heart. Jesus, look what you've done for me. So why don't we just do that for a moment. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Lord Jesus, we thank you, and we remember your sacrifice. We remember that you were our substitute. Thank you that you were the goat that was slain for us. Thank you for your broken body that made it possible. Now We eat, and we give thanks. So you can do that right now. You can just give thanks to Jesus. You can eat the bread. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So, we're going to drink this, and we're going to remember sacrifice, but we're also going to remember this. Jesus is coming again. <laughs> it's good news. He's the risen Christ. He's alive today. So, why don't we drink and give thanks together, and then the worship team is going to come and lead us in one more song. Thank you, Jesus.